Welcome to Worship at Seattle Mennonite Church. Now that we've got all of those housekeeping things out of the way, this is these months of pandemic have indeed been uh, they've been a new way of worshiping together, but whatever they bring, and hopefully there won't be too many more of them, whatever they bring, we know and trust that the Holy Spirit is working and moving between us and among us and still weaving us together as community. We want to claim this time of physical distancing, not simply as something to get through, as something to endure, but as an experience that we are sharing together. Uh, I really trust that it is building us up as a community of faith. This week, we are celebrating the first Sunday of Christmas. Uh, many of us were together on Christmas Eve, and we lit our Christ candle, and we lit candles together and shared that as a community. And uh, as much as it wasn't the same thing as we experienced together when we worship in person, it was still quite beautiful and moving to see the light of Christ spreading on our screens as all of us lit our candles. Uh, today we're celebrating with elders in the temple. We're, we're blessing the infant Jesus and we'll, we'll hear one of our own beloved elders preach today. I'm really looking forward to hearing Rita bring us a word. We worship this Sunday and always on the land of First Peoples of this continent. Here in Seattle, of course, we are on the unceded land of the Duwamish tribe, folks who are still uh, living and thriving in this city and whom we continue to support in their quest to, to be recognized as a tribal nation. Uh, we're going to begin our worship with a gathering song, and I think Michael has a few words to say about, about that song. I kind of like to look at the history of some of the hymns that we sing. And uh, this one is really old. It's um, written by Frederick Mendelssohn. I figured it's, it's 270 years old. Uh, Charles Wesley wrote the lyrics originally. He was the, one of the founders of Methodism. And uh, the version has actually changed just slightly over the years. And, and there, I found a change uh, as recently as 1961, um, that interestingly took out, there was lyrics that said that na nature worships God too. And they took that out for saying, well, no, angels worship God. Um, but then there's always still, you know, the heaven nature sing, heaven and nature sing part. But, um, so the in, it's, I did it all on guitar uh, because I, our connection here, I have to put my phone on the back of this chair just at the right angle to get a good connection when we're up in the corner. So I thought I'd better pre-record stuff. So um, the, the first verse is just the melody with the guitar uh, chords in the background. And then I bring in the alto part and the bass part, and then the third verse, the tenor. And so you get all four parts.
I invite you now to pray with me the invocation and opening prayer. With the angels we proclaim, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For to you is born in this day in David's city, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom God favors. God of angels and of shepherds, come to us in this time of worship that we may celebrate, that we may continue to proclaim you in all the earth among all upon whom your favor rests in the name of the Messiah, our sovereign, amen. As we light our Christ candle this week, we acknowledge that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all of creation, a vision that was proclaimed by those angels on that first Christmas. Throughout Advent, we experienced a season of watching and waiting for the coming of the incarnate one. And with Christmas, we welcome that one, the Emmanuel, who is God with us, the one who is both proclaiming and inaugurating God's reign of justice and peace for all peoples. The peace of Christ be with you all, with each one of you. Our children's time this morning, in myself here, for our children's time this morning, I'm going to bring this book called This is the Stable. This is both a book and a song. Last week, I read and sang Silent Night. And one of the things that I've been trying to do throughout um, Christmas is highlight, well, throughout, throughout Advent, I was trying to highlight books that uh, express the beauty or mystery or sacredness of the dark. And I also like when I'm looking for books specifically about Christmas to look for characters that are represented that, um, that look like Mary and Joseph might have looked or that give the global majority of this world an opportunity to see themselves in the Holy Family. So last week I read Silent Night. This week, or I sang Silent Night. This week I'm going to, to sing another book called This is the Stable. And if you know the tune for, um, for uh, trying to think of the title of it, that starts Jesus, our brother, strong and good. Uh, that is the same tune for this, this song, This is the Stable. Uh, so I'll read and sing, This is the Stable. We'll read, sing, This is the Stable. And if you can see the words, I, you, maybe you can sing along. Oh, I didn't start on the right page. Here we go, it starts with the stable. This is the stable, dusty and brown, in a quiet corner of Bethlehem town. This is the star whose light shone down on the quiet stable, dusty and brown. This is the manger filled with hay to feed the animals sheltered away from the chilly night where the star shone down on the quiet stable, dusty and brown. This is the donkey, this is the cow with swishing tail, 
whose gentle moo hushed a baby's wail. This is the donkey gray and white who stood near the manger all through the night. They both kept watch while the star shone down on the quiet stable, dusty and brown. This is the mother manor so mild, singing and rocking her newborn child. This is the husband, patient and wise, guarding his family with watchful eyes. Together they settled their little one down in the quiet stable, dusty and brown. These are the shepherds tending their sheep in the field, in the fields where the town was asleep. These are the angels, a glorious throng, who sang to the shepherds a wonderful song. Be not afraid, go to Bethlehem town, to the quiet stable, dusty and brown. These are the wise men travelers three, who knew of an ancient prophecy. They followed the star whose light shone down on the quiet stable, dusty and brown. These are their gifts so fine to behold, frankincense, myrrh, and glittering gold. They carried these presents uphill and down till they reached the stable, dusty and brown. This is the baby born that night in the stable marked by the stars so bright. A baby boy who cooed and cried and looked around with eyes so wide. Then cuddled and swaddled, he laid his head on the soft sweet hay of his manger bed and slept in, slept in the stable in Bethlehem town, the quiet stable, dusty and brown. This is the stable, dusty and brown, in a quiet corner of Bethlehem town. With the coo of a dove for a lullaby, the little one slumbered with barely a cry safe in the warmth of light and love, while all through the night in the heavens above, the angels sang while the soft stars shone down on the quiet stable in Bethlehem town. The quiet stable in Bethlehem town. The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, 
every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that there will be opposed so that inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a, source, and a sword will pierce his own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks, thanks be, be to, to God. God. Thank you, Pat and Pete. Uh, it occurs to me that uh, we could do this in just three words. Wait, look, receive, but I'll offer a couple more. Simeon. The God receiver sits at attention in a corner of the city commons, waiting, studying busy citizens passing by. His breath catches. Is that the one? Maybe that's the one there. Watch weary now at the end of his long vigil. He closes his eyes momentarily, and in that space he feels Ah, the quivering, quickening spark to flame. The Holy Spirit is on him, moving him out of the commons and into the temple. Here he is, Nuke Dimittis. But not for us, not yet. We are not yet dismissed because there's many, many more messiahs for us to discover even as we rejoice in the Christ. We are the God receivers of our day. 
waiting in Simeon's shadow, listening for the deafening flap of spirit's wings, or maybe just a whisper in the dark. There he is. Simeon was a prophet fulfilling two roles, that of forth teller and interpreter. His foretelling brought hope to an oppressed people, and his interpreting likely brought a great deal of sorrow to Mary. He hailed from the hustle and bustle of the marketplace, and at the right time, he brought the naming power to the temple. Uh, lots of people assume that Simeon was a, a priest in the temple because he held Jesus in his arms and blessed him. But the, the truth is that Luke doesn't say that. He doesn't say much of anything except that he was a man in Jerusalem, a man in Lake City, a man in Shoreline, maybe. As I've walked in his shadow this week, I've wondered many things, and the most urgent question in my heart has been, how on earth did he know? How do we know these things? And I, I think it's because the Holy Spirit was continually on him. Because it was always time. He just paid attention to the movements of the Spirit. And when the time came, he was ready to act. Now, to step inside Simeon's experience a little deeper, I would bring us back to the miracle that Jesus performed, if you will. It's not a good word. Anyway, whatever it was Jesus did, the woman with the hemorrhage was healed. The spirit was always with Jesus, he paid attention. And when it was time, he acted. Mark has it this way. Jesus perceiving in himself that power from him had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? How many false alarms did Simeon have before he recognized Jesus? Yet, this time he knew, and the power to name and receive swept him away. And now for Anna. Listen for it. Tap, 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 tap. It echoes around the courtyard and bounces off limestone sentries that send the sound to expectant believers. Get your sidestep ready. The Holy Crone is on the move. An insistent, persistent prophet is Anna. And she shouts as she scurries, out of my way, move along. Have you seen him? Move. But a pause now. She leans on her cane and stretches her back. And in that stillness is born the still point. Her soul sight now sees what diminished sight cannot, the convergence of Savior 
and saved. God is received. Unlike uh, Simeon of the marketplace, Anna's domain is the temple precincts. According to Chronicles 9.33, it was customary that Levite musicians and heads of families uh, stayed in the rooms of the temple and were relieved of their work because they had other work to do night and day. And I can't help wondering if that may have been Luke's inspiration for Anna. Uh, she hardly would have been, as I understand it, in the temple sanctuary, but rather in the uh, the court of the women. Luke doesn't tell us that. He's in it just for the meat. I understand Anna. I understand her fairly well. Not just because I'm old and waiting to receive God before I die, and I am, but because I come from a long tradition of Christian women who have followed in her footsteps, from the desert mothers to anchoresses like Julian of Norwich, to cloistered nuns in monasteries. And then there's a, a present day uh, abbess, if you will. Her name is Christine Painters, uh, Walter Painters. And she has a website called Abbey of the Arts. It's amazing. Our wonderful artists among us would really appreciate it. So whether their temples were carved out of caves or churches or anchorages attached to parishes or online monasteries, monasteries they were all dedicated to prayer and fasting, seeking daily the convergence of Savior and saved. Lots of people, as, as I'm sure you remember, have said that Mary was the first to receive the good news. And others say, yes, and Anna was the first to understand it. Anna could be the grandma to Mary. She could be the arm around Mary and hear her, her trepidation and comfort her in her sorrows. But now she has to hurry um, because death, not, death is imminent and because she's just so excited to receive Jesus. There's only so much time one can spend fasting and praying and being alone. So she's out there. And that's how I perceive her urgency. In conclusion, before I tap my way off here, a couple of musings about the title, God Receiver. Uh, lately, I've been feasting on Rembrandt's icon, Simeon's Song of Praise. And this one, like so many others of his, is a stunning interplay of light and dark that just might sound familiar to our community. One description of the painting suggests that the light in the family is born of their acceptance of the dark. The light energy they generate draws the God receivers to it. And in response, these prophets see because they look.
Uh, it's the Eastern Orthodox Church, which honors Anna and Simeon with the title God Receivers and considers them the last prophets of the Hebrew scriptures. As I, I age, I become more and more conscious of my need to learn how to receive. I, I find it really, really challenging and inviting. Simeon and Anna really exude power in their receiving. Thank you, God, for the gift of your son. Not, oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, this is too much. Just thank you. And in that thank you is power that comes from their vulnerability. I'm equally intrigued by the etymology of the word receive and surprised by it. Uh, Latin reciprocate to regain, take back, bring back, carry back, recover, take to oneself, take in, admit. I've begun to think of a God receiver as someone who takes back the God who is always there, whom we've forgotten. Where is the Christ here? There. Find him in the marketplace. Find him in the temple. Look. Receive. And now you dismiss your servants in peace, O oh God. Amen.
before Jonathan shares uh, in prayers, I just wanted to share a couple of stories. And I am so grateful, Rita, for the naming of, of the God receiver um, that I feel like uh, that's what I experienced this week in uh, the sharing of story uh, from the Idris Mosque. So uh, the Muslim community uh, is part of the Lake City Partners and Aziza is, is one of the board members. And she, she shared these stories uh, this last week. And as part of the process of her um, becoming a partner and getting involved in our community ministry, she needed to receive approval from the Imam the the leader of of the Idris Mosque and and uh, she she received that approval and uh, and a lot of support from from the leader of of the mosque which was just so so beautiful that she was she was grateful to receive that uh, he has been back and forth to Egypt uh, during this season because that's where his family is and he. Uh, he got COVID and he ended up dying in Egypt, which is for their community, a terrible loss. Uh, and so she was quickly imagining um, Christmas Eve, wanting to do, um, to replace the meal. His family usually does the Christmas Eve meal for our winter shelter. And, and so she was scrambling to get some volunteers together because knowing that the family was in mourning that they might not be able to participate. And, uh, and they said, no, no, we want to offer the meal on Christmas Eve to the winter shelter community. So just super grateful for their, their generosity and, and their, their continued uh, ways of supporting the shelter. Uh, the second story also relates to Aziza and uh, her connection to the winter shelter over time. She met um, one of our shelter guests uh, was a Muslim man. And uh, over time, they were speaking Arabic to each other and getting to know each other. And she encouraged him to come to the mosque and, and join the community. And maybe there might be a pathway to housing that in, in their relationship and an offering of, of community to one another. And she learned that he had died uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so the Idris Mosque actually raised the funds so that he could have a proper Islamic burial, which is again, super moving. Uh, it's, it's something over $5,000 that they would have had to raise to, to support the, the burial of, of this man. So just grateful for the generosity of this community and, and how, how we are enriched by by our relationship with them. So wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie. Let's continue in a spirit of prayer and receiving and holding. God of our age and of our infancy, you come before us today in the form of a vulnerable infant 
who grew into adulthood experiencing the struggle and the beauty of embodied humanity. Even now you walk with us through life, loving us in each stage of our growth, trusting that you are present with us, we bring you our prayers for our elders and for our youth, for our beloved and for our enemies, for ourselves and for our communities. For those who are stuck at home when they would like to be traveling and visiting family, and for those who are traveling and anxious about the dangers of being away from home. We pray for all who are alone and lonely in this holiday season, missing loved ones and the usual ways of connecting. We pray, pray for all who are sleeping rough or on the street in these wet and cold days, and we pray for safety and protection. We hold those for whom this season is a time of remembering loved ones lost. This week, we mark the anniversary of losing Rosemary Allen on December 21st, seven years ago, and Sandra Richard, Richardson, six years ago today. We pray with the family of our former youth pastor, Adam Yoder, who lost his father on December 19th after a long journey with dementia. Hold all of these families and all who are grieving for those whom they have lost under the shelter of your wings, O oh God. As the Oaks 24-7 shelter prepares to open as a safe and sheltering place, we pray for a smooth transition for the safety and health of both staff and guests and that city and county governments may step into the gap in funding that is still needed to operate. We hold Mike O'Leary in your care as he heals from surgery on his leg. We give thanks for a successful procedure. We pray for rest and that his muscles might be knit cleanly together May he return to full mobility and use of his leg. Be with him and with Robin as she wraps and rewraps braces and bandages and offers care and partnership. We continue to hold Christy in your care too as she heals from surgery and for her family as they go with her on this journey. Turning now to the chat. Gratitudes to Rita. Gratitudes to the mosque and the mosque Islamic community and their partnership and care. Continuing to pray with Robin and Mike, gratitude for a good outcome of surgery and for Robin's caregiving and support of the community through prayers and wonderful meals while he is hobbled. Praying with Kat Gearing up in Bellingham. Prayers for Rosa. Let's pause for a moment of 
holding all that is in our minds and hearts, both spoken and unspoken. Praying with Anna Lena for her sister, Myra, who has said that Magnus has had a few rough nights. Praying also for her Aunt Hilda in Mexico who fell and hurt her hip, hip and is in bed, recovering. God of all of our years, accept our prayers of gratitude and of longing and our trust in your constant care. We pray in the name Emmanuel with us even now. Amen. We continue our worship in a spirit of prayer, giving thanks for all of the gifts that each of you offer our congregation, both in money and otherwise, and also grateful that we have the means to collect those offerings digitally. Our closing song is O Holy Night. This is a hymn that is not in our hymnal, and so Melanie is going to post the words in the chat, and Michael is going to say a few words about the hymn before we hear it. So it's 1843. It's in France, where my mother comes from, the northeastern part below Lyon. There's a church, and it has the thick, thick concrete, or, or stone, I should say, walls, stained glass, and they've just gotten a new organ. And the uh, parish priest asks uh, a local poet to write a poem and Aldolf Adam, who's the organist and a, and a famous composer, writes this piece of music for this new organ. And then just a few later, years later, a French, uh, I mean an English uh, writer, hears the song and translates it into English and follows the, the lyrics fairly closely. And um, happens to be part of the abolitionist movement. And so in the Northeast of the United States, the abolitionists sang this song. And we're going to sing this, verse three, which we don't hear a lot. Um, at least I haven't heard it very much. Um, but it has some very poignant lyrics uh, that really relate to slavery. And uh, as I was looking up research, this song has been recorded so many times. And by a lot of uh, you know pop artists and stuff, but I think um, we'll appreciate today the, the version with the, with the organ. Amy, if you can pace it.
Sorry for not being able to get the last of those wonderful lyrics into the chat. For some reason, the copy and paste wasn't working for me or for Melanie. So I hope we were all able to listen carefully to Mike's uh, organ and singing. Uh, I invite you to receive this benediction spoken first by Simeon in the temple. Emmanuel, you are with us. We have seen your salvation, a light born from the darkness and kindled in the darkness. Dismiss your servants in peace according to your word. Amen and amen. <laughs>